Hello and welcome to a new episode of SIS Masters Podcast. I'm Arnaud Rijard, founder of Sport Innovation Society, and I interview for you some of the best experts in the sports industry. Today I welcome Vicente Fernandez, digital media innovator and the co-founder and CEO of Sportsmanias. We will speak about fan engagement and entrepreneurship. Named to Forbes 30 under 30, Vicente works daily with top-notch companies, reaching hundreds of millions of fans globally. Vicente, welcome and thank you for taking time to share with us. We will be together for about an hour uh, to share about your experience, the past that led you to be such a great entrepreneur in the digital engagement space. But first, let me introduce you quickly. You're a former athlete in American football. Nice. You can tell, tell us about all the shots and contacts you got. You're a digital, <laughs> you're a digital media innovator and the co-founder of C and CEO of Sportsmanias. You've been made, named to Forbes 30 under 30 some years ago, 2016. I think you were 24 at that time, correct? Correct. Does uh, that mean it's like a 16 or 17 years old tennis player qualified for qualifying for the French Open, uh, more or less? Uh, so <laughs> that would be Michael Chung when he won, uh, yeah, when he did something great at the French Open. <laughs> Sportsmania since has become the industry leader in animated sports emojis and augmented reality effects, uh, reaching hundreds of millions of fans each month, and working with partners like Meta, uh, the NFL Players Association, the Olympics, and Google, and many more. But before deep diving, let us know. Because we're all passionate about sport, how did you fall in love with sport? You know, Arnaud, I am um, from an early age. I, I was just every day in the backyard with my dad playing baseball, playing football. Um, he was my little league coach. He would essentially we, we had a great group of friends that came around sports and I, I was out there every day working with him. And it really led to a lot of the qualities that I have today. Uh, but secondarily, um, you know, I think it was really good timing. Uh, in the city of Miami, I was about, you know, 11-ish years old. Uh, the Miami Hurricanes, a college football team, were really sort of re-establishing themselves as a dominant force in the college football landscape. And my dad, he would take me to games every Saturday during the fall. And, you know, my dad is an absolute fanatic. He, uh, he was a broadcaster for Telemundo Deportes for a bit. He's no longer working in sports, but he sort of had that ingrained in him. Um, and my grandfather as, as well was a, a professional uh, soccer player in, in Venezuela. But my dad would take me to these games and we had like general admission tickets. So basically, the if you got there early, you had great seats. If you got there late, you had bad seats. So we would naturally get up like at, at dawn, get to the stadium, park, you know, incredibly far away. And if, if anybody's ever been to a Miami athletic event, like a Miami Marlins game or Hurricanes game, you're in the parking in like, you know, somebody's house where they have uh, the front lawn with like $10, you know, a, a $10 sort of a sign that you could park there. So we park far away. We would walk over, the gates would be closed. We'd get in and then we'd sit like literally front row of the end zone, um, which was sort of the famous section where it got like the rowdiest um, and we'd be there for like two hours before kickoff, uh, just cause we wanted those great seats and, 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 you know, Miami's hot. So you'd be like in the sun or it would be like pouring on you, but you didn't want to lose your seat. So you'd stick there. And it ended up being a magical time. We, we ended up winning a national championship. One of the seasons that I had season tickets, like the second season that we had season tickets. And it just established this real love for sport. Uh, my relationship with my dad and honestly, with many of my friends 
is established around sport. And it just led to me understanding how sports can create the sense of connection between us. And yeah, like I said, a lot of the great qualities I, I, I believe that I have, I can tie back to my time as an athlete. And a lot of the relationships that I built are, are, are very frequently built around this theme of sports. That's interesting. Sport as a tool for bonding, family bonding and friendships. And then you decided to play. Uh, not only to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, from from that, I ended up really falling in love with American football. It became my favorite sport. I played, you know, every sport growing up: baseball, international football, American football, tennis. Uh, but American football, just I think that time in that city, like it all sort of clicked. Where my friends and I, we we really loved the sport. That's what we would, uh, that's what we would most play. And then, you know, I, American football is you know, anybody who's in the industry knows, um, has, you know, some, some risks attached to it. So my mom, uh, who, who's going to come into the story in a bit was a little cautious about me playing. Now she's as, as big a fan of my, my playing football as, as anyone. Um, so I, I didn't really end up playing till middle school. So about 13 years old, um, I was playing flag football before that, which I, I play now that I'm, I'm older and, and don't play tackle anymore. Uh, but you know, I, I, it, it came together really nicely. Um, we had a great group, um, you know, South Florida is considered really at, at that age level, the best in the country in terms of, uh, in terms of football. And, and a lot of it is, you know, private schools who pull talent from around the area or inner city schools where like football is life. And we were this Hispanic school, mostly, mostly a Cuban school. Um, and we never made it past the first round of the playoffs, you know, and my senior year, it, it all sort of, clicked. Uh, we, we've been looked apart like everybody, you know, I, I don't look like an American football player, traditionally what you'd expect, it, you know, and, and all of us look like me, whether it was a defensive lineman, I played defensive back and, and the season started poorly, you know, and, and it was sort of a lesson in that too, that, you know, you, all of a sudden it just takes repetition. And even though it, it may not click at first, it, it clicked. Eventually we went on the biggest winning streak in school history. Uh, we beat teams that we, we weren't supposed to be Booker T Washington. That's you know, a school that produced one of the top 10 high schools are producing NFL talent. Um, they were, they were like our second round matchup and everybody was saying, Oh, you know, Belen, you guys had such a great season. Um, and we pulled off a victory last second field goal, uh, made it all the way to the state championship, unforgettable experience. Absolutely. Like, you know, uh, one of those things that I'm always going to remember back on with, with incredible fondness. Um, and based on that, I, I knew I wanted to keep playing. Uh, I got recruited I was looking to play football and, and go to a really academic institution, got recruited to play at the University of Chicago, uh, had an amazing time there. I'm, I'm a big sports nerd and they had like incredible history. Uh, first Heisman Trophy winner was from the University of Chicago, two national championships way back when, like in the thirties and, and, and just a, a great program that I got to be a part of there. So I got to, I got to continue my playing days um, in college after playing in high school and having that great, that great state championship run. And uh, like I said, I, I still, uh, yesterday I was, I was out here, uh, in New York playing, uh, playing a pickup flag football game. I'm incredibly sore today. So I'm glad we're doing this interview sitting down. Uh, but, but I keep at it. I, I love sport. I love competing and, and, and it continues to this day. I'm curious. Are you still in touch with your high school friends, uh, from the yeah, team? Absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had, uh, I, I got married in, in, in March and, uh, Christine is fantastic. Congrats. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, three of my, my groomsmen 
we played football together, uh, high school football together. And actually, you know, it's funny. What was, I think, really special about that group is, you you know, you had some we, we didn't have we had, I think, uh, one uh, FBS Division One, like power five kid. Um, but the rest were just like really good football players at 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 that level. And and I think the core of the team, what made it so special is a lot of us played growing up. So uh, me and those three groomsmen, we've been playing flag football together since we were literally three years old. Like we've played forever and we three of us still play now. Right. We, we, we still go and compete. So I'm still in touch with them. I talk to them every week. Uh, and again, like we talk about football is the, the bonding tie there, right? Whether it's us playing flag football at a tournament that we're traveling to or playing fantasy baseball, like it's, it's, it's the connector. It's a connector. So what did you study at Chicago University? So I, uh, I studied uh, film and media studies, uh, so cinema and media studies, and then I'm double minored in creative writing and Latin American studies. Um, you know, going into the University of Chicago, I knew that I wanted to go into sports media. It was always my passion. I loved creating content around sports, whether it was writing, whether it was film. Um, and I, I, I remember when I was considering where to go, I was looking at some of the top media schools in, in the United States, um, but I really fell in love with Chicago. It, it was, uh, it, it felt special. Um, but, you know, I, I asked somebody, he was actually uh, the president of Fox Deportes. He was the father of, of uh, one of the great teachers that I had in high school. And he said, hey, Vicente, go get the best education you can and then work on the media aspect outside of the classroom to complement it. Um, and, I, and I wound up doing that. Um, you know, the, the cinema media studies was actually there being a great major because it, it really taught me to analyze content um, as much as anything else. Like think about what's the meaning of the content? Why are people engaging with this content? Um, sort of the, the, the art of storytelling, which It's funny, like we're doing now with like these little mini emojis, right? But it, it sort of ties back to like films and like little mini movies and, and, and why do people engage? But, you know, what ended up being great about Chicago as well was I wasn't at a school that had a journalism department or a media major. Uh, cinema and media studies was sort of that. And it was it had a, a, a it leaned towards film. Um, but then they ended up being incredibly supportive. The university did about what I could do outside of the classroom. So I started the University of Chicago sports business team which was the, a student organization for students who wanted to go into the sports industry. We ended up growing it to about 60 members, brought in speakers from ESPN and the president of the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, you know, uh, the, the president slash owner of the Chicago Bulls. We ended up creating an internship program with the Bulls. Um, and I actually ended up having, building a lot of great connections through that that's helped me out with Sports Manias today. You know, secondarily, um, I got to start the, the first student-run television station on campus because uh, I wanted my games to be broadcast so my mom and dad could watch it back home. And the university just ended up being incredibly supportive, giving funding to these initiatives and just letting me get essentially started with sort of entrepreneurial tasks uh, in, in a really sort of, in a really supportive, low-risk environment of university. That's fantastic. So starting from scratch at university, you played and you wanted to play, but the main goal was to build your career into the sports industry, if I understand well. Absolutely. Yes. You know, I, I had no aspirations of, of, you know, being a, a, a professional athlete. I wanted to be in sports. I didn't know in what fashion I knew sports media specifically was the niche. Um, you know, and, 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 and we can get into how, how sports mania started because it started while I was in school. Um, it was a, a turn that I wasn't necessarily expecting. 
Um, but I knew I wanted to go into sports media and, and I, I'm very thankful uh, to the University of Chicago for the support that they lended me. It, it helped me not only as somebody who wanted to build that career, but as somebody who ended up being an entrepreneur. Uh, and we could we could already see at that time, which is not that long ago, <laughs> the entrepreneurship mindset that you got, uh, building new, creating new things. And one day you received a call from your mom saying, uh, and by the way, hi, uh, I had the pleasure to meet your mom twice and fantastic person. Um, one day you had this call and, you know, why not creating something? Let us know more about that. Because that's quite um, quite uncommon. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. So my, my mom, Aymara, she's an incredible businesswoman. She's an incredible entrepreneur. I would say she's she's a better entrepreneur than I am. Uh, you know, she she had in Miami, um, she'd worked in advertising for, for decades, and she was one of the founding members of Zuby Advertising, which ended up being one of the biggest Hispanic um, ad agencies in the country, um, initially a, an all sort of female team. And she ended up sort of spinning off and creating her own advertising agency, Amaran Associates, uh, that I really grew up around. You know, I, I grew up in her office <laughs> after school doing my homework as she was, you know, finishing up late, um, working on campaigns. And she was always really inclusive and, um, you know, letting me sort of see how she worked. And when she called me with the idea and, and sort of her mindset at that point was she was seeing the advertising space really change. Uh, take one of sort of its big next evolutions, uh, which was into digital media and really into social media, right? Um, and and she was sort of, she had great clients like Burger King and she'd worked with Pepsi and Disney. And, and she was seeing that these advertisers were looking to connect with specific demographics um, and, and sports fans in, in, in her experience were an ideal demographic because we're passionate, we're loyal, you know, we're, we're engaged with, with our teams. And she felt like if we could create a platform dedicated to not just your average sports fan, but to diehard fans like myself, um, we would have something really powerful. We would have something that could, uh, you know, attract the interest of these major advertisers where they would reach this really strong demographic. Um, you know, my initial reaction when she called me was surprise. You know, I was, I was a student. I, 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 I love the idea of working with my mom. It was probably something I always had in my head because I looked up to her so much, but I, I didn't expect to be starting something new with her, especially at that time, especially in sports. Uh, sports was really a deep passion of mine and her passion has always been sort of branding and advertising and, um, and, and sort of reaching consumers in that way. But it ended up being a really great sort of co-founder duo um, with what we could each bring to the table. And yeah, we, we, we got started in school. It, it, it took, you know, it was a couple of calls back and forth. I had immense trust in her. Thankfully, she she saw something in me that that she thought she would be great, not only from a mother-son relationship, but also from like a co-founder's working relationship. And yeah, I, I, I got to think that we're one of the only mother-son sports <laughs> startup co-founder teams out there, um, but it's it's worked great. It's been years now and, and, and you know, we've been able to accomplish so much and uh, couldn't have asked for, for a better mom or a better partner. Huh. Before we go further, when, when you guys meet family reunions, it's work or it's personal? There is always work involved. <laughs> uh, it, it is, it is, you know, that, that is a very blurry line between personal and work. Uh, you know, I'll, like you said, well, it'll be a holiday, right? Like Christmas or Thanksgiving. And like, we're getting together and, and enjoying, you know, the holiday, whatever the case may be. But at the same time, she's like, Hey, you got to get that. You got to get that email back to her not, or, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, uh, 
follow up with that deck for the Olympics or whatever the case may be. And, and it really, it does blur. And when we talk on the phone, even just like catching up, like undoubtedly there will be family topics and there will be work topics and it, they blend together. And, and in my mind, it's led to part of the reasons we've been successful. You know, this isn't just a business for us. It's, it's family. Like we, we really care about it. We, we want it to be successful because we, our family is tied to it. And, and it's part of what pushes us every day. Um, you know, and our nod, we, you know, we have so much love and respect for you as an entrepreneur. And I know you feel this, right? Like it's, it takes a lot of determination to, to keep at it in good points and bad points. And, and thankfully with, with, with her, we we're, we're always on it. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think a day goes by even when they're just supposed to be family where, where, where it doesn't come up. Um, occasionally she'll be like, Hey, you know, Take a break, but that doesn't last very long. We're we're always back at it. We're even on the holidays. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. And you guys do it in a very respectful relationship, so that works very well. And so at the beginning, every entrepreneur has kind of a dream. So the dream, if I understand well, was to bring a platform value to the diehard fans. How did it end up with emojis and ARFX? Because that, that was quite new at that time. There was nothing... You know, now it's quite common, but at yeah. that time you, you were to- totally innovative. Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, the the evolution of our business has been a really interesting one. So when we were initially looking at creating a platform for diehard fans, what we thought was you've got all of this great content out there on social media, all of this great sports content, but it's it's difficult to find, it's difficult to consume. You know, in particular here in the United States, you had sort of, for example, even the, the newspaper industry, right, was was on the decline. It, it, it was challenged, but they were still producing the best content on local teams, right? They had dedicated reporters, uh, aka beat writers, that would say, you know, I'm their full-time job is covering the Miami Heat or the New York Yankees or, you know, um, the San Francisco 49ers. And they were producing daily content um, that really is what diehards want. But a lot of these, these diehards, you know, it's, it's difficult and cumbersome to sort of figure out who to follow. And even like if you looked at your, your feed, um, it was sort of peppered with different things and it wasn't sort of a clear stream. And we thought, hey, if we could go curate um, every article, tweet, video, let's say it's about the Miami Heat um, in, in a single feed, that'd be incredibly powerful. That'd be powerful because you'd be able to see the posts coming from the athletes, from the team, from the reporters. If we even built an algorithm, we thought we could bring in content from national sources, which would be great, right? Because you could bring in video highlights, for example. And we, we went out and we did that. Um, and we were really one of the first to do it. But as you mentioned, sort of the space can sometimes catch up. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of competition with um, curation as well. Uh, we, we, we had some incredible, incredibly powerful technology. And, and what we sort of started doing was um, we were thinking of applying it to a specific vertical in fantasy sports, fantasy football in particular. And we thought that would be sort of a great, a great differentiator uh, because, you know, people are really passionate about their fantasy teams, like they are their real life teams. Um, and we thought we could have it feel like you almost had your own editorial staff covering your, your fantasy roster just for you. Because every time there was a tweet article video about one of your players, we'd pull it in and, and it ended up being a great tool. Uh, but with that launch, this is the fall of 2015 we'd learned at this point, it's really hard to grow an app audience. Um, growing an, an audience on digital is difficult. Grow, get, letting somebody sort of, uh, or somebody giving their real estate of their, their phone app space is, is even more challenging. And we, we wanted a way to, some, we wanted something that people would say, have you seen this? You got to go get it. Um, and that would sort of allow for organic growth and, and, and 
Apple had just started allowing developers like ourselves that year to create custom emoji keyboards. And we thought if an emoji keyboard exists around sports, it'd be a huge hit, right? We're all sports fans. Going back to the connecting point to the communication, like we, so many of us, our relationships are tied to sports and we're communicating about sports frequently. If we could give people a better way to express themselves um, with sort of visual messaging, that would be incredibly powerful. And we, we thought, okay, we'll, we'll create an emoji keyboard. We'll attach it to the app. Um, so if you have the app, you can use the emoji keyboard on platforms like text message or WhatsApp. And we thought we'll create these, these emojis and they ended up being animated emojis of favorite player fans, favorite players. I mean, initially we were doing the NFL and fantasy football with a fantasy football launch. So Cam Newton was out there doing the dab, right. Every time he scored a touchdown and we thought, Hey, if you're a Carolina Panthers fan, or if you have Cam Newton on your fantasy team and he goes off and scores three touchdowns, you're going to want to share a Cam Newton dab emoji, right? Like you're going to want to send that over a smiley face over a text of saying like, Oh, do you see Cam? Like sharing that would feel that much better. Um, and we went out and we created dozens of these, um, and in the first year, or really in the first couple of months, we, we saw the growth we always wanted. We went from having tens of thousands of monthly active app users to hundreds of thousands, uh, because every time somebody got one of the emojis, they'd say, how did you get this and how can I get it too? And they would therefore go and download the app. And it was sort of this great cycle. That Super Bowl Sunday, we actually ended up hitting the number one top sports app in the app store above the NFL app, above ESPN, above CBS, who I believe was streaming the game simply because we're giving fans a way to express themselves. And during the Super Bowl, what do we do? It's a social moment, right? Like we, we, we talk about the Super Bowl. We're texting our friends and family. We're, we're calling and, and we were giving them a way to express themselves with Cam, who was in the Super Bowl doing the dab and Peyton Manning yelling Omaha. Um, and, and it was sort of this really great moment of validation of, hey, we have something special. And, um, you know, for us, initially that emoji keyboard was a marketing tool. It was a way to grow our audience. Um, but it led to the NFL Players Association reaching out. And that was, you know, really our first big partnership. And they said, hey, we love your emojis. We think this is uh, a new wave of fan engagement. Um, do you have ideas of how we could work together formally? And do you have ideas for how we could monetize this? And that's when we started thinking, hey, these emojis, and we were looking at the analytics that made sense, are are part of the future of what we're doing, right? Like there's there, there's a lot more here than than a marketing tool. And I can get into sort of the messaging space because I'm really excited about it. And I think it's still very, very early days. Um, but we, um, you know, the, we, we, we had this idea that we could bring brands into the emojis, right? So you could have Burger King crowning the new Super Bowl champion, or you could have JJ Watt dumping a Gatorade bath at your screen or Serena Williams, you know, uh, sort of serving a tennis ball at your screen and cracking the screen into like a, 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 a Gatorade bolt. And, um, We've now worked with dozens of these brands, Burger King and Gatorade and Panini, who's an awesome ongoing sponsor of ours, Kia, uh, Wells Fargo, film studios like Lionsgate and Universal uh, and 20th Century Fox around their film releases, uh, Pizza Hut and more. It's been really cool to see that vision come to life. Uh, we ended up being the NFLPA's uh, digital licensee breakout partner in year one. We then went on to work with other partners in the space um, and, and, and sort of garner those athlete rights. So we could go at this point, right. We could go create emojis of Tom Brady or Gronk or Patrick Mahomes. Um, and we went out and we sort of worked with the MLBPA for a time. We worked with uh, the MLS. Uh, we work with the U S women's national team players association, the WMBPA colleges across the country through some great partners we have uh, in two thumbs and college emojis. 
And um, we realized after a while, we were really good at a couple of things. We were really good at driving value back to our partners in the sports space, right? That we're utilizing for their rights. We're really good at driving users to an action, uh, like downloading an app on digital, on mobile. We're really good at driving value to sponsors. Um, and you know, ultimately, to me, there's no more valuable real estate than our conversations, right? If you can be a part of those conversations in a cool way where a fan actually wants to share, that's that's incredible, right? Like not only is it reach, but it's not an empty impression. It's 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 true engagement when a when you know a fan says, Hey, I want to share this branded emoji because it's the coolest thing out there for what I care about. Um, and also you're touching them at like marquee points, you're touching them when they're at their most passionate, right? Which is when they're most likely to go buy a jersey or or go buy tickets, or you know, they're prepping for the game and they're like, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta go order uh, you know, pizzas or or get Red Bulls for this party that's coming up. Um, and lastly, we were good at sort of driving ongoing engagement with the fans because we were releasing new emojis every day and we were always part of the conversation. But what we no longer, what we started thinking about was we've got this sports manias app and it's a great home base for what we do, but we want to go wherever fans are, wherever they exist. We want to be there. Um, like we talked about earlier, right? Getting somebody to download an app, even though we were doing it at an incredibly efficient rate is is a big ask. And what we were, what we realized we're really good at is content. We're really good at sort of creating content that fans want to share. And we thought, you know, Hey, if somebody's posting on Instagram, we want to be on Instagram. If they're making a TikTok video, we want to be on, on TikTok. If they're searching a score, we want to be on Google. If they're watching ESPN, we want to be on the big screen, right? They're at sports center. And, um, we were talking to the Instagram sports team and they let us know that, hey, they loved our emojis. They thought they'd be fantastic for a new product. This is 2019 that they were starting to promote called Instagram Stories, which obviously gone on to be huge. Um, and they wanted sort of cool content that fans could add to their stories and that they could uh, then go on and, and, and sort of utilize in, in, in how they're expressing themselves in this space. Um, and, you know, they asked us if we were open to creating a, a verified Giphy channel and working with them and the Giphy team for content that could be trending in the sports space. And it was, it was a big jump and they thought it was a big opportunity, especially because if you look for like, if you're on Instagram stories, you look for, you know, an athlete name, oftentimes there's no content there. Um, and if there was content, it wasn't resonating as, as much as, as was desired. So we, we went ahead and did it. And in the first month, we saw 200 million views completely organically. And now we see anywhere up to 800 million views. Um, you know, that's really just creating the content and releasing the content. Um, you know, we've got great distribution channels through Giphy and Tenor. Uh, Giphy is now meta-owned. Tenor is Google-owned. And we're reaching billions of fans every year through this distribution because when somebody goes and wants a sticker to add to their Instagram stories or their TikTok videos or their Twitter comments or, or their WhatsApp messages. Well, we exist on all of those platforms. And if you search for a prominent player or a brand, hey, we appear there. We appear as part of the conversation really high up because our content performs. And oftentimes we're, we're even trending. You know, one of my favorite stories is um, during the, the Super Bowl, you know, our, our Panini emoji cards, right? The, these branded Panini emoji cards, they're, they're trending frequently because they're the coolest content out there. It's really just like a player, like, you know, let's say Mike Evans going for a one-handed catch and landing on a Panini card. And during the pregame, the NFL itself was sharing in their stories our branded Panini emoji cards pregame. I mean, that's invaluable real estate when the NFL is using sort of branded content uh, because it's it's cool. And then postgame, 
Tom Brady, who was a Super Bowl MVP, he used to, he reposted his uh, branded Panini emoji card. And naturally, you know, we were thrilled. Panini was thrilled. It was this incredible visibility into how this works. It's not only, you know, the fans, but it's the players and the teams. And if you create cool content and you get it onto the right platforms, it does really well. And, and sort of that was how the emojis really ended up developing. And now we're sort of in every messaging or social media app. If you're looking for a stick, if you're looking for a gift, you'll find us. And now the latest evolution has been augmented reality, which I, I can talk about as well. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you went from building something around fantasy for Die Hard to understanding the power of emojis as part of the conversation of the fans. And you're now into the conversation because you use all the platforms, I would say, uh, to bring you services. I suppose it did. It does represent a change in the, in the business model from the original ID to where you are now. It absolutely did. You know, we, we sort of initially were imagining that we'd be a platform for news, right? Like, or, or really information, the, 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 the content that, I mean, it was still content based, but it was content curation. It wasn't original content that we were creating. Um, it was organizing the content for fans. So, Hey, you don't got to go anywhere else. We, we have you covered. And there's still a stadium full of fans that use the app every day. And, and we're really proud of it. And the technology is great. And we've worked with partners utilizing the feeds that, you know, perform incredibly well um, when stacked up to other sort of news platforms that we've had conversations with. So we're really proud of that. Um, but from a monetization standpoint, yeah, what we, what we learned was fans conversations. And I, like I said, I th still think it's in its infancy are very valuable, right? Like we can create content that fans love and that's, that's very valuable real estate for brands to be a part of if we do it well, but it definitely changed our model. Um, and now our models even changed a little bit more where not only are we getting sort of the sponsorships of the emojis being, being one of our monetization avenues, but we're, we're getting contracted to create augmented reality effects or digital experiences like games by whether it be a team, a league, you know, a sports entity who wants a new immersive experience to, to showcase. Um, and, and even getting contracted by some of these social and digital and tech and media platforms like the Googles or the Metas or the ESPNs or the Verizons who, who want content on their platforms to differentiate, right? And to stand out and, and to be cool. So it's, it's been really interesting, you're right, that, that our business models changed so much. Um, but thankfully, it's, it's changed in a way that, that we're really excited about and, and that we, we see really a ton of potential to come with. Yeah, because at the end, your core business is bringing to the fans the coolest, you mentioned, the coolest thing out there, uh, which I love. But being the coolest thing out there a long time, not easy. Having the right tech or the right designs. Or the, yeah, how do, I don't know if there's an innovation process or, how do you do to always be on top to provide these coolest things to the fan? Because yeah. there's so much competition now. And we, with the rise of all the Web3 and uh, the, the NFTs, and it's, it's just crazy how many things happen. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's, um, it's happening fast. Um, you know, we we're fortunate enough to be early in the space, right? Um, yeah. So a lot of the content that we're creating, like the augmented reality content, Um, you know, it plays really well into Web3 and, and our content can transfer very, very seamlessly into like the NFT space. But what we try to do is we really try to focus on, on the fan front, right? Like that, that's, that, that's been our, our, um, our thinking point. Like what, 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 what do fans want to consume? What do they want to share? What allows them to express themselves? But from 
a technology and a creative standpoint, you know, a lot of that is having a great team. We've got an awesome creative director um, who's really evolved the the 2D content, right? The the emojis from being basic to being, you know, more lifelike and just finding the right blend. Um, we, we have incredible analytics, right? We've been doing this for years now. So we have, we've driven 10 billion views of our content and that's allowed us to really see what fans share around most. So we, we have an understanding of like, Hey, if we're going to release content around a coming tournament, what's going to perform? Well, we have data to back up. What should we be creating around? Um, you know, third, I would say we've built up a great reputation. So we've got great distribution. Uh, but from one of the biggest steps we've taken was from emojis to AR, right? So um, you had, and, and in terms of being around what's next, right? So emojis, what was next? And that still remains a really valuable core part of our business. Um, Instagram asked us if we had augmented reality and 3D capabilities, because all the emojis are 2D, uh, because they were, you know, pushing Spark AR and augmented reality has become, you know, it's, it's still developing, but it's becoming more and more important to the ecosystem. Um, and, and will only continue to be. And they asked us if we had capabilities and, and thankfully we did. Um, you know, we, we've got a great technical director who, um, you know, some of these guys are way more talented uh, than I am, right? And, 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 and what they can put together. Um, and we, you know, our first AR effect that, that we sort of ended up working on was for the Olympics through, um, through Instagram. And now we've worked with, with some amazing partners launching AR effects from the Olympics, the NFL, um, you know, the New Orleans Saints and, and more Instagram pages um, that led to Instagram actually bringing us in to create AR effects for some of the world's top athletes like LeBron James and Conor McGregor and Leticia Buffoni and others, Novak Djokovic. Um, and most recently, we're working on really cool 2D and 3D content for uh, different meta meta platforms as they sort of bridge their their uh, current apps to the metaverse that's to come. And, and I would say, you know, even even most recently this past year, we had a great sort of case study creating uh, a, a game, a digital game for Kia that you could find available at Kia kiosks at, at arenas across the country. And, and we're sort of always looking at what do our partners, what are they interested in, right? And how can we leverage our creative and our technical capabilities to make that happen? Um, you know, you mentioned NFTs. We're in conversations with some of our partners about NFT opportunities. We haven't wanted to go release stuff as sports manias. We want the right partners to do that with. Um, and that's oftentimes how we've done things is, hey, we know what we can do from a creative and a technical standpoint. We've got great a great team that that has really amazing capabilities that can do pretty much anything you want in the space that's, that's currently possible and available. Um, and, and we sort of lean on our partners who have resources or who have um, access to, to talent that we can create around or, um, you know, or, 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 or that really sort of, I think what, what's to come with web three and the metaverse. And I, and I, this is the way I think about it is it's one IP, right? It's sort of, it's, it's the representation of fanhood. Um, and then two, it's the, the technical digital capabilities to sort of bring that IP to life on these new platforms. Um, and we see ourselves as really a, a really nice convergence of those two points um, and that's how we make decisions on what's on what's next. Cool. So creativity, tech, data knowledge, and IP would be the pillars of of the success you're you're putting together. Yes, uh, I, I I I would definitely say so. You know, um, I I think those are the pillars that that we rely on to to push us forward. That's that's a really succinct way to put it. So tell us one concrete. Tell us about one concrete example with a creative process from start to finish. 
and, and ones that failed as well, because I'm sure you're learning a lot and everything is not working. And sometimes we're so surprised about what's working and what, what's not. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Um, you know, I, I think a really cool example um, for this, and, and I think it applies to what we're going to be doing in, in 3D AR. Um, so we had um, a great partnership these past two seasons with, um, with Google around NFL player emojis that were inserted into these dynamic scorecards. So like if you were searching for a score of a game, um, the scorecard would show you what the latest score is. And it would show you an emoji that we created of the player who scored. So like Patrick Mahomes throwing a touchdown or Travis Kelsey catching the pass. Um, and when we were talking to Google, you know, they wanted a lot of these platforms want scale, right? They don't just want like uh, a nice, like one piece of content. Sometimes that works well, but a lot of platforms want scale. So the first season we did it, um, we created hundreds of emojis, uh, which we were thrilled about. Um, and they were excited about too, but it wasn't the volume that was wanted in the sense of, um, you know, what Google's hope was, was for us to create to represent every player that could score across the NFL. And that's so many players, right? And to have multiple animations per player, right? So that if a player went off and scored three touchdowns, well, you have three unique animations. Um, and and we, we found that to be a, a daunting task, right? To go from like hundreds of, of assets to thousands of assets the next season. Um, and what we ended up doing was our technical director created with the team a rigging system that essentially allowed us to take down the time that it takes us to create for the NFL player purposes, um, a new player face, right. From like a new player, a new player look from a couple of hours to like 10 to 20 minutes, right. Which is a huge decrease in time using things like body types and sort of like, you know, uh, facial features that could be adjusted. Um, and then an animation, right. To take an animation and, and scale it, let's say to all the receivers that could take a week's time. Right. And, and, you know, you might sort of be able to scale, to hundreds of emojis in a couple of weeks or a month. And now we're able to do that in a couple of days, right? Uh, like a hundred scale, a hundred uh, scale and animation to a hundred new characters in a day's time. And that was a huge jump. And that was a huge leap. And I think that's a good example of sort of how the space is innovating and how we're innovating that space. Now our next challenge, and you know, with one of our partners that we're talking to is, Hey, can you do the same thing with 3d and augmented reality? Now 3d augmented reality content is requires more resources, requires more time than the 2D content, right? So it's it's an even bigger undertaking and, and it won't be an apples to apples comparison in terms of time, but we feel like we can sort of replicate that kind of system um, in the 3D space. And we're really excited about that and have that be sports agnostic. So that's hopefully a, a good example of like how, like a practical use case of how we're sort of innovating in the space and not just from like, okay, well, you know, we're making a new animation that we think is going to do well, but how do we take this and and fit it into a, a technology partner's desires. Hmm. Very interesting. Now, we've got some sports organizations, we've got brands among other publics that are listening to us. So if I'm a sports organization or if I'm a brand, how should I think about you? So I, I think, the, the, like, and, and this is where I get excited because I think we're very early days, right? Like, you know, every, every sports organization, every brand has a website. Um, a lot of these sports organizations, a lot of these brands have an, an app. Um, I think it's going to become necessary in the next five, 10 years to have a presence in fans' conversations. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's where you exist as a brand, 
and as a sports organization, especially, you exist in the communications that we have as, as people. Um, and if you can have an actual branded presence there, an official presence there, that's immensely valuable. So I think from a sports organization standpoint, and I'll sort of, uh, you know, split into two from a sports organization standpoint, I, I would see sports mania as, as a creative partner, a creative and distribution partner for reaching fans where they exist, right. In their conversations, um, and in their sort of their own posting, right. Like right now, most sports organizations are pretty great at releasing content that hits fans in their feeds and that fans comment on and, and like, and, and reshare, but there's an even more sort of native touch point, which is you don't even like it's, you don't even have to release content on a daily basis to be a part of fans communications. You can be there just by giving them cool pieces that they themselves want to utilize over and over again. Right. If you're um, you know, if you're a diehard fan of Real Madrid um, you know, you're, you're going to want to utilize an emoji of your favorite Real Madrid player, um, not only when they go and win the Champions League, but on a daily basis, right? If you had a great week, you want to share, you know, a, a celebration Real Madrid emoji over a smiley face emoji. Um, and that really leads to incredible cadence, right? And even more fan loyalty. And, and I think there's an opportunity for those sports organizations, and I'm talking about in the emoji front right now, um, to bring their own brands into those conversations, right? It's new real estate, new inventory for them to be able to sell to their partners. And we have data to back up. Hey, you're going to reach millions of engagements very quickly if we release, if we create content with you. So I think that's one piece on the emojis. On the secondary piece, the AR front, I think AR is a look at what's between now, like we talk about, and the Web3, the metaverse. It's like a very practical use case of what is this content going to look like? It's it's being able to create immersive experiences that make you say, "Wow!" on game day or on a holiday. Um, and again, I would I would see sports manias if if sports organizations see sports manias as the creative partner who has the expertise in distributing the content and making the content and creating new experiences um, that that can sort of help them get into that new space. Um, and then from a brand perspective, I think it's similar. I think there's in even like from a sports organization perspective, we found incredible interest on the AR front, for example, right? There's a lot of sports organizations coming to us, wanting to create these AR experiences to show that they're on the cutting edge to bring their fans, you know, uh, new content that, that they're excited about on the brands front. I think the emojis are, make so much sense. I mean, talk about being able to get into fans, Instagram stories and WhatsApp messages and, and Twitter comments. It's, it's really incredible and it's brand new and it's wide open. And I think, being able to like brands have great brand ambassadors, right. That they're sort of working with from across sports, or they've got these relationships with, with certain teams, all of a sudden, if you're bridging like your campaigns in content that fans can go find and Hey, you know, what ends up happening? Like with these brand ambassadors, if we're, if we're sports manias and that brand are creating uh, a new animated emoji that reflects the, the goal celebration or the touchdown celebration from last week, that's what fans are going to want to share. And they're not going to mind that it's, uh, you know, it's their favorite player celebrating with Burger King. They're going to be excited to share it because it's reflective of the conversation. And we are the best at creating that real-time content whenever it matters to fans. And for brands, I think, I mean, I, I like, like I said, I, I'm very excited about that space. Um, Sports Manias is a leader in it, but I think brands should be in the messaging space more and more. Um, we just, we have enough experience to say, hey, this is what really works. Um, and, and we have content that fans recognize and that they love. So we, we feel like we can be, you know, we can be a lead in it. And I think, I think that's how I, I, from a sports organization standpoint, 
and a brand standpoint, I think that's how we stand out is, hey, we've got the partnerships with the social platforms, with the tech platforms. We have that covered. We have all the creative and technical capabilities. And we're sort of the creative and distribution partner for this new media content that the world's getting to, that, that fans really love. And, and, you know, yeah. So that's, that's how I'd see us. That's cool. That's cool. You may receive some calls. And um, what would be your dream now? I mean, you went from diehard uh, fantasy content to the app, to the emojis, to AR, AR effects, 3D ARs, and so on. So what's your dream now? So I, I really am loving working with some of these big you know, partners, right? Partners that have great IP like Panini or, or partners that you know, have an incredible sort of technology for us to build off of, um, and, and audience like the metas of the world, right. The Instagrams. Um, I think sort of my dream, like in terms of continuing is we want to be at the forefront of what's to come like digital and expression is at the beginning. Um, you know, the, the web three metaverse thing is, is on, is at the forefront. Right. And I think we're in a great position, um, to sort of create fan experiences that, provides that's a win-win-win right that's that's a win for the fans because they love the content that's a win for the sports organizations because they're getting to to bring to life real life experiences right like we talk about hey me going to miami hurricanes game as a kid like those are experiences i'll never forget but hey anytime i go to hurricanes game i want to be there well all of a sudden you can create recreate digital components of that in in digital which is really cool value to the brands where, Hey, the fans don't mind. because it's, it's cool content that they want to be a part of and then value to the platforms themselves. Right. Because you're letting them sort of differentiate and, and, and have something unique that fans want to come around. So I think, I think, um, for us, we want to continue being at the forefront of where digital is going, but tied to that idea of fanhood and expression and identity, right? It's identity. Like I am, at my core, a sports guy. And there's people who are music guys or, you know, a uh, film, like, you know, girls who like love film and like, it, it's, it's about identity. And, and I think, like I said, that's the convergence of creative capabilities and IP and, and sort of leveraging those two for the new platforms that are coming about. And we want to be at the forefront of that. That's the vision. That's where we want to be. Cool. To be, um, no, no, let's go to some personal question for, you know, there are some entrepreneurs and leaders that could be interested. Um, What is a day in, your, in, in the life of Vicente Fernandez who has no three minutes? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's busy. You know, we, we're so, uh, Ahmad and I are, 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 are so excited about what we're doing. And, and it's, it's sort of like, you know, a couple of years ago, we were, we were really out there chasing new opportunities. And now we have a lot of existing opportunities. We have opportunities come to us and we're still out there hustling for, for, for new ones that we think make a lot of sense. Um, you know, my days, a lot of entrepreneurs days, like they, they, they really can fluctuate, right? You can, you can sort of have a low of like, oh man, this, this opportunity we thought was coming through. It didn't come through for whatever reason, out of your control, nothing you can do about it. Right. And like, it's, it's a low. And then all of a sudden, like two hours later, you get a call and, and it looks like an even bigger opportunity is around the corner. And it really, it, it sort of, it's sort of this emotional fluctuation. You need some stability to be a part of it. But from like a practical perspective, what do I do? I take a lot of calls Uh, a lot of communications in terms of internal, right? So like our Slack channel, our Trello board, right? Like working on what are these new ideas? And sometimes I'm involved in creating ideas that are non-branded that are just, you know, to showcase what we can do with reach and, 
um, and excitement. Sometimes it's sort of creating for a branded partner, right? Like, hey, we're going to create the Walking Dead emojis, or we're going to create new Panini content, and, and I'm involved in sort of the internal aspect of it. Um, and then the third is communicating with with outside partners, right? And these could be new prospective partners. It could be existing partners that we have on deadline. Um, and I, I think it's it's really a lot of that. It's a lot of a lot of management of relationships, both internal and external. Um, it's a lot of getting people excited about what we do and what we can offer and, and hopefully getting them to cross the finish line and say, Hey, we want to work with sports manias. And look, usually I, I say this all the time. We're very flexible because we know how well this performs. So it's like, let's just get started. You'll hopefully see how well it's going and we can, it can lead to more. And, and that's been the beauty of it for us too, is every partner we've had has come back and wanted to do additional campaigns or additional creative because they saw the numbers they saw how well it sort of resonated. <clears throat> so, you know, that's, I would say that's what a, a day in the life looks like. You know, I, they, they, like, it's not like a structured day. It's like, Hey, it could be late at night or early in the morning. And look, there's things in between that pop up that are important family stuff, relationship stuff, you know, uh, friends, um, significant other, and that's very valuable and, and very important and, and arguably can be even the most important. Right. Um, but thankfully everybody who knows me knows, knows how much I love this. And and the people around me are very supportive of what of what what my day can look like because they know that I'm I'm trying I'm trying to build something that I care about and that hopefully other people come to enjoy as well. Yeah, athletes have rituals. Some entrepreneurs do have rituals. If you have a big pitch coming, any special ritual for you? Yeah, you know, um, I I I typically so when I've got a big pitch coming, it usually means. I will be like, spend a lot of time researching the partner, uh, arguably maybe even sometimes too much time, right? Like in terms of where, where they're currently at, right? Like where, where, where are they innovating around the space? What is their brand storytelling? What are their, you know, latest campaigns? Um, so a lot of time researching, then, uh, I have our team make some mock-ups. I put together a pitch deck. Um, but then right ahead of the call, I always end up doing a deep dive into whoever I'm having a conversation with, right? What, what are they a fan of? If I can find out, right? Like, you know, where, where are sort of their connecting points? Cause I, I feel like, you know, being able to personalize a pitch to somebody allows them to see it. You know, if, if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, imagine, you know, emojis of, of your Miami hurricane, favorite Miami hurricane players or, or of the Ibis and using that on Saturday to talk with, you know, your family and friends, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it. Right. So I, I would say that's, that's sort of a, a, a big piece of it is I, I probably end up spending the last like 10 to 20 minutes before a call uh, doing a deep dive into who I'm talking to, hoping that I can, I can find some connecting points that, that helps them see what we're about. Who is inspiring you to always become a better professional? Anyone that you say, Oh, I love listening or reading him because of, I learned so much. Yeah, you know, it's 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 um there's a lot of people that I look up to. Um, like I said, my mom is one of them, but I think there's a lot of great influences around me, you know, Arnaud. Like there's a lot of things that I see you do that I'm like, wow, Arnaud is like your your ability to sort of your positivity, your ability to respond fast. Like sometimes I'm a slow responder and you know this, you know, like I see certain things that you do and I'm like, I, I want to emulate that. And I think, you know, a lot of our partners, I'll, I'll sort of see things that they do. And I, I want to, I want to try to recreate that. Um, ultimately what I try to do as a business professional and our relationships, I always want to be positive. I never want the other side to be like, feel like they're getting gypped or like, we're just trying to squeeze them. 
Um, and I don't want to feel that way either on our side, right? Like I, I want it to be uh, a level of positivity. My, my, my goal, as much as I want to like close a deal right away, is for the other side to end up feeling good so that when the right opportunity comes, even if it wasn't right now, they say sports is they might be the move here. And we've had that happen, right? Where we work with a partner three years ago and then three years later, we'll, we'll check in with them and nothing clicks and all of a sudden it clicks and we've got our, our, our biggest campaign with them. And I try to really have that level of positivity. And I think that's, that's a combination of the influences of the people immediately around me that I see doing well. And like I said, you know, I, I, I might on my co-founder and mom and, and seeing how, how she tries to do things as well. Um, from a listening and, and reading perspective, I'm, you know, the list hosts are huge, right? In terms of like, that's part of my daily ritual, um, looking through what's the latest in the space, uh, digital and sports. And I would say that like just the, 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 the ongoing news around what's happening combined with the feedback that we're getting anecdotally from our partners, right? Be it like a meta or like a, uh, a Gatorade or, you know, a, an Olympics, right. In terms of what they want, that, that, that sort of ends up being sort of our true driving factors of like, what are people talking to us about? What are they interested in now? And, and just like looking at the landscape, like the emojis, nobody was asking for emojis when we did the emojis, right? Like it was just, we, we saw a nice niche and a nice opportunity. And we try to take those targeted calls without taking away from the core business. Three tips you would give to entrepreneurs. Okay. Uh, I would say one, um, <laughs> I have found for me, go into something that you really care about. This is really hard. Being an entrepreneur is really, really hard. And not hard in the sense of you have to be overly talented or overly intelligent. It's really hard because it's really a grind. It's every day, you know, getting up and fighting for what you're doing. And it becomes easier if you're passionate about what that is, right? If it's something that you would be doing anyways, like, hey, I could be working in any, any field and I would still be doing sports every day. I'd be like, this would be like what I would end up spending all my free time on. So it really helps that, that I'm in what I care about, which is content creation and sports. I would say that's one is getting into entrepreneurship. Ideally you're doing something, you know, cause you know, and there's other entrepreneurs who are, who are in it just mostly for financial reasons to make money. And, and, and obviously, you know, all entrepreneurs want to build a solid business, but I think, you know, that ends up being more more of like a home run shot, right? Like as like, I think you can build, if it's something that you care about, you'll find a way to make it work. And I think that's, 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 that's how most successful uh, startups or, or, or small businesses or emerging companies happen. So that's one is, is, is something that you're passionate about. Um, the second is for an entrepreneur is just having the right expectations. You know, going into this, I told myself, Hey, this is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And it has been harder than I thought it was going to be. And we've done, like, if you told me, you know, 10 years ago that this is where we were going to be, I'd be thrilled. I'd be like, oh my goodness, like we've completely made it, right? But like all of a sudden it gets higher and higher, right? The hurdles that you want to climb and, and sometimes success looks a little bit different than you, you, you think it would have. And it can be even better than you thought it would have. Um, but I think having expectations of like, hey, this is going to be really hard. And, 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 and taking the perspective of like, I'm not going to quit, right? Like, and, and I'm going to keep going until the end, right? Like having that sort of emotional stability. So I'd say those would be two, um, you know, one being ideally you're doing something that you care about and you're passionate about. And two is having expectations that it's going to be difficult and being ready for sort of the emotional, um, the emotional fortitude it's going to take. Um, and then I would say third would be the relationships, right? Whether it's the team members that you have or the partners that you want to reach, 
you know, and, and sometimes it can be tough because sometimes you can have a great relationship and like the project falls through um, and you hope that it comes back later on. But, you know, it really is true. A lot of the, like, a, a lot of the people that we work with, we, we've sort of spent a lot of time, you know, reaching them and, and sort of trying to do what's best for them when it's also good for us. And um, having, having those strong relationships with, with business partners, with people on the team, right, trying to look out for them and, 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 and do right by them as long as it still makes sense for the company and sort of balancing those two. Um, so I would say emphasizing those three things, um, the relationships being sort of the, the final one um, and, and, and trying, to, trying to connect with people who, who see what, what you're doing and value it um, and, and, and build with them as well. Very good ones. Very good ones. As a conclusion, we've got a ritual that uh, we, we like to ask some quick questions for quick answers. Uh, it's very much inspired from Marcel Proust's questionnaire. It was used by Chen Sliptoni and Bernard Pivo in some shows, TV shows. But So ready for some quick questions? Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite all-time athlete and why? Quick answer is... Uh... Two, Roberto Clement and Ken Dorsey. Um, and I, I'd say a third, Ed Reed. So two, I, so I don't think being three, so it was fast, but I'll give a little bit of context. Roberto Clemente, since I was a kid, like he was the one that I like, I did, you do a presentation and he was the one I presented. My grandfather had a poster that was signed Roberto Clemente. So I always had an affinity for him. Great human being, aside from being a great athlete. And then the other two, Ken Dorsey was a quarterback on those teams that, that took us a championship. He was number 11. I ended up wearing number 11. And then the third was, I ended up playing defensive back and Ed Reed's a cane as well. Hall of Famer, uh, really smart defensive back that I, I, I've always looked up to. So those would be the three. I know it's supposed to be one, but those are three. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite event? My favorite event is uh, probably the Miami Hurricanes Florida State football game. Uh, just packed with memories. Uh, the first memory I have at a sporting event would be, I remember it was Miami FSU It wasn't the year we won the championship. It was the year before where FSU made it to the championship. Um, but we had a comeback when Ken Dorsey being the quarterback. I remember my dad being in the stands being like, it's over. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and I was like, no, dad, we got to stay. And I remember like being a little kid, like, like, you know, really hoping that it would come through. Um, and it was sort of that, that flash of magic. And I feel like sports and sometimes, you know, this entrepreneurial journey can have like that flash of magic that happens. And that's a game that no matter how, good one team is or how bad one team is it always has that fun it's a rivalry game so i'd say rivalry games but my rivalry game is miami fsu it's the favorite one you've played oh it's got to be uh that that booker t game uh that that booker t blend game where nobody believed in us it was everybody stormed the field it was actually after the game we were the underdogs right so after the game it was it wasn't a home game for us they turned off the lights To, to get us to go home because um, we, we, we were thrilled. Uh, so from a player perspective, that Miami Booker T game was phenomenal. Um, you know, winning on a last second, getting some tackles. And actually I ended up coaching my brother his senior year and we had a fantastic game against LaSalle that was very reminiscent where we had a last second touchdown and my brother Alex made the last tackle. So I would say that's my favorite as a player, favorite as a coach. How different is this feeling from the feeling when you kill it with emojis? I would say it's similar. You know, it's, it's like when, when I get a partner, a big partner that I'm, that, that comes in and says, says yes. Right. Like that excited feeling that like wanting to like go and move around feeling is very reminiscent of, um, of being an athlete. I think that's part of it. There's like, you know, there's as an athlete, there's a lot of nerves that come with going to play 
right? Like matching up against somebody, joining a new team. There's a lot of, a lot of anxiety, like even if you're doing it for years. And I would say it's similar here, right? Like all of a sudden you're going to win a big pitch and there's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of anxiety and, and sort of having that success and getting, getting off the call or out of the meeting and it going well is very similar to like having a good game. Um, yeah. No, quick answers. What is your favorite word? I, I'll go passion, right? Um, you know, that, that's probably, I, I, I'm somebody. Your least, your least favorite word. Oh, my least favorite word. No, no, your favorite word, patient. Your least favorite word. Okay, so my favorite word is passion. Least favorite word, I'd say it's probably quit. I, I stick to things pretty long. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like to give up on things. Sometimes I feel like I, I, I like, like, you know, you get the negative feeling, but I, I don't. I keep going. What sound do you love? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I have a favorite song. I love the Beatles. Um, they've got so many good songs. Uh, hey Jude, maybe it's sad, like sad, sad but sweet. Okay. That was song with my French accent, but sound. Oh, sound. Apologies. Uh, my oh, favorite sound. Uh, you know, I, I love the feeling. So I would say the, the, the sound is probably part of it of walking into a stadium. Like I don't have to be working or anything, but just walking into any new stadium. And like when you're walking through that little tunnel, right. To get through and you see the feet, like the feet, the games didn't have to be going on, but like you hear, you hear the crowd. I, I, I love that. Yeah. I would say that. What sound do you hate? I'm, I'm not very good with quiet. I, I usually like having stimulation on whether it's some music as I work or something. I'm not very good with quiet. What profession or sense on you own would you like to attempt? You know, I, I like I said, I, I got a taste of coaching and I really liked it. Um, I wouldn't mind doing that in the future. I would also say I love academia. I, I think coaching and, and teaching at some point later in life, I could see myself enjoying a lot. Cool. What profession would you not like to do? <laughs> oh, there's lots. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would say one, two things that come to mind. So I, I deal with a lot of legal contracts. I read over a lot of legal contracts. I have learned that I would not enjoy being a lawyer. Um, I really don't like conflict um, very much. And, and, you know, I feel like a lot of being a lawyer is preparing for conflict or, or, you know, essentially trying to make the most for one side of conflict. Um, I don't think, I don't think I, I would enjoy being a lawyer very much. If you had one more hour every day, what would you do? Um, I'd probably spend it catching up on whatever I wanted to finish doing that I didn't get to finish doing that's rolling over to the next day. <laughs> focused. Yeah. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, wow. I would like, I would love for him to say that I led a good life, you know, and, and to, to welcome me to be with my care, loved ones, cared ones, right? I would say those, those would be the two. I'd say... I, I try to lead a good life. It would be really nice to hear that. And then secondarily, you know, to be for him to, to welcome me with, with the people that I care about. Many thanks, Vicente, for this time. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. Can't wait for our next conversations. Thank you, Arnaud. Uh, it's been awesome. Always is. Always a great conversation with you. And I, I've seen lots of questions in the chat. I saw one. Uh, my email is vcentaf at sportsmanias.com. If you want to email me there, absolutely happy to, to respond or see if there's collaborations. But Arnaud, this is awesome. Um, always love what you're doing with SIS. Uh, this is such a cool next iteration of it. Talk about innovating and, and, and being ahead of what's next for, for people in the industry. So appreciate you always and uh, 
looking forward to keep keeping keeping th- the good things going between us. Let's keep it up. Cheers, my friend. See you, Arnaud. Thank you all for listening to a new SIS Masters podcast. We'd love you to subscribe. Please leave a review or rate the podcast. It will help us improve. We'd love to see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Enjoy.